Let's see. Oh, yeah. I got some itty-bitty little baby waveforms now. <coughs> oh, my God. I keep drinking things wrong. <coughs> oh, my God. You should be dying. How long have you been learning French? I don't even know what dying is in French. Pathetic. Je suis malade. Um, All right. Okay. Three, two, one. Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my chocolate factory. And I should warn you that one of us always tells the truth and one of us always lies. Hello and welcome to Fans Labyrinth, the podcast where we talk about your favorite indie movies and genre television. My name's Joseph, and here's my co-host, Lydia. Hey, hi, and how are you? Hola, como estas? No, I think that's we're a, done with the rest of it. That's the second week in a row I've done that. No more bad French, no more bad German. That no. was Spanish. No, I know, because then I always reply in my bad French, and I'm always like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like the only Spanish I know. That and Donde Esta La Biblioteca, and I learned that from Ooh, Community. From community, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, Joseph is just over here, like looking in the camera, um, preening himself, yeah. like a fucking peacock. Yeah. Want to get makeup? You should do it. Next plan: getting old. Yeah. Actually, uh, I have a friend of mine who used to collect makeup and so she has a ton of old stuff she wants to get rid of and I'm like give it to me I know tons of it will be expired but you know yeah there might be usable stuff in there get some fun makeup <laughs> we can teach you how to do winged eyeliner yeah that's that's my go-to <laughs> it's my go-to um we can style your eyebrows so you can have like perfect delicate eyebrows like that weirdo in the movie tonight oh who the creepy guy in the handcuffs that they let. We're getting oh, yeah. into the movie too quickly now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's yeah, that's an important detail of the movie. The preened eyebrows. They were really good eyebrows. They were better than my eyebrows. Guess, guess the movie from, from. Imagine you didn't see the title. <laughs> guess, <laughs> preened, uh, guess the movie from these perfectly sculpted eyebrows. But yeah, not too exciting of a week for me how was no. your week um yeah i mean my week was pretty good i had a bit of a work meltdown that right. wasn't great <laughs> yeah <laughs> cried during work but thankfully i work from home now so no one saw my shame but me <sighs> which is always nice but yeah other than that it was good you know i got my refund back for my shitty defective couch nice exciting good I only had to literally file a legitimate complaint with the Better Business Bureau. Oh, get it back! I felt like such a Karen. I felt so bad. I was like, <laughs> I was like, I can't, I can't do this. But it had been over a month since they had picked up the couch for return, and I kept calling them and emailing them, and they just like I kept getting automated responses, and I was like, this is, this is almost a grand, man. Like I need my fucking money back. So I filed the complaint on Sunday, Sunday evening, um, got a response from the company I bought my couch through, um, through the Better Business Bureau on Monday morning, saying that they were going to refund my money. And then I had the money back in my account before Tuesday morning. And I was like, Jesus. so you guys were just like fucking holding on to my money as long as you, like, I swear if I hadn't filed an actual complaint, they just, like, never would have refunded me. Uh, the way of the world sometimes. So, never buy furniture from that company. Just ever. Just, for, no, I mean, furniture in general. Um, <laughs> well, you know. Everyone should live like a 20-year-old frat boy college student. Mattress on the floor. Mm -hmm. You know. Fucking milk crates yeah. for a coffee table. 
I hate how real that meme is where it shows like the every, you know, 20 year old guy's uh, house you go into, apartment you go into, and it's literally just a mattress and a computer desk. And it's just like. I've been to like houses, like guys, like guys apartments. There's gym shorts everywhere. Yeah. Back when I was like big into my partying stage, there was a guy I used to hang out with all the time. And it was like, but it was the weirdest thing because he had he had a mattress, but he still had a box spring, but they were both on the floor. And I'm like, you you legitimately spent money on a box spring, but you couldn't buy a shitty bed frame. Why'd you buy the fucking box spring? You know what oh, I mean? God. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. Mm. It's just it's just weird that you would spend like two hundred dollars on a fucking box spring and not buy the bed frame at that point. Um. It's funny, I've been meaning to get back into anime and watch some stuff. I've been talking to friends about it and doing all this stuff. But one cool thing I ended up doing was a sort of... um, Because what I did do is I watched this movie with uh, a a couple friends at a sleepover. And we all watched the movie like late at night. So... (laughs) You had a sleepover? Yeah. That's so cute. And, you know... Depending if you know where we are, what you do? Did, did their mom no. buy pizza for the group? Did you have chips and pop? Uh, we did have chips and pop. Actually, we went to the Asian grocer and we had all sorts of Asian treats. And it was very Wait, was cool. this after I, you hung out with me? Uh, what do you mean? When you guys came over to my place after going to the Asian grocery store. Uh, there was a different, a different time. Oh, okay. It was like, I feel really left out. That's fucking rude. But uh, yeah, so but we watched the most uh, record-breaking box office anime movie of all time, the Demon Perfect Slayer Blue. movie. Oh, that just came out. I am still not done watching Demon Slayer. I haven't finished yeah. it yet, so please don't give anything away. I don't think I. I'm going to talk about it, but I don't think this will give away anything. Like the movie Seriously, is. Seriously, don't. Of I'm separate. really enjoying it. I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. Um, I just, I can only watch it with the boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, okay, so I, I won't say too much about it, but yeah, so it's, it grossed over $400 million, which is both the best, uh, most money ever a Japanese movie has made and the best-selling animated movie ever. So it did really well, and I was very, very happy with it. And one of my friends who's read the manga said that it, like, follows the manga perfectly and is just the next arc they just made into the movie. So it's like, it's just such a, like so rarely an anime does a beautiful transition. Like things connect up. Everything is going smoothly. Thing happen. It's so rare. It was, it was a great thing. And if you haven't seen Demon Slayer and you're into anime at all or not, since Lydia isn't even into anime and is enjoying it, it's such a cool series and the movie follows it greatly. One quick warning though. I will give one quick warning. Literally every episode ends on like just the most ab- aggressive cliffhanger. So it's like mm. really hard to like, if you only want to sit down and watch one or two episodes, you're going to get hooked so fast because of these stupid <laughs> fucking cliffhangers. And then you sit there and you want to watch like. Good problem to have. It It is and it isn't though. Because when you're watching it with friends, like I've been watching these like virtually like online with a couple of buddies of mine. And we'll sit there, we'll be like, we're just going to watch like two or three episodes. And then we watch three episodes and they're only like 20 minutes, super digestible. But it ends on this intense, stupid fucking cliffhanger. Like literally it'll end right in the middle of a fight scene. And you're like, well, if I don't watch the next episode, I don't know how the fight ends. Yeah. Yeah. I remember those. Yeah. It's so aggravating, but it's it is a really good show. It's just like horribly addictive. Yeah. I remember so yeah, the it wasn't the same day, but the snacks we did get were for that <laughs> after. So yeah. Um those were good noodles though. Yeah, they were not bad. And I love uh I just love the Asian grocery store. It's so it's so cool and has so so much interesting stuff that you wouldn't get anywhere else. Um, there's lots of stuff I don't like at all, but that's just, you know, me being a white boy. So. Fair enough. But the anime I've been wanting to watch, this is going nowhere, but I just, there's a new one coming out called Jujutsu Kaisen, and it looks cool. And Crunchyroll, though, I don't have a Crunchyroll just 
subscription. Um, and that's the main anime, like Netflix. Uh, and they do this stupid thing where when a show first comes out, the newest episode is locked behind premium that you have to get their paid service. And then three months later, it's locked again. So you have this like three month window that you have to get things. And I was just <laughs> too late for the early episodes. So it was uh, like already the first five episodes are locked away. I'm doomed. Probably should just buy a subscription. But I, I, I honestly go anime and kicks. Like I do like yeah. one or two a month and then I stop for months and then go back. But I could just buy my subscription that way. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people do that with streaming services now because there's so mm -hmm. many of them. They'll like schedule it out and they'll be like, you know, June is Netflix and Crave. And then August is Disney Plus and tons of people do that. Yeah. Any cool stuff on your end? Yeah, media that I've been watching. Um, so I watched the limited series on Netflix called Halston. Okay. okay. Um, I don't think I heard about that one, actually. I must have missed it's it. brand new. Just came out. Um, okay. But it is starring Ewan McGregor mm -hmm. as the fabulous fashion house designer Halston. Oh, my God. I did see this. I did want to watch this. Yeah. Okay, I'm curious. So it's, I mean, it it definitely follows the structure of like pretty standard biopics where it's like mm. fabulous beginnings and rising to stardom, some kind of horrible addiction, quick tumble back to the bottom, and yeah. then horrible tragedy occurs and you pick your life back up. And that's like pretty much every biopic I've ever seen does yeah. that. You know, like The Dirt was the exact same. Mm. I watched that not too long ago as well. Same with like Bohemian Rhapsody and Rocket Man. They all follow that same structure. And I'm not saying that can't be like true to reality, but it does get a little boring when it's such a standard so predictable. narrative. But the acting is phenomenal. Like Ewan McGregor is just so, so, so good in the role. And the costume design is incredible. I mean, it's all based off of Halston's actual designs. And he was huge in like the 70s and 80s. So he was known for disco couture. Okay. That was his style. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. So it was very like super 70s, 80s ABBA disco style, like stuff you'd wear to Studio 54 if you're hyper wealthy. Um, mm. He also had a very famous best friendship with Liza Minnelli. So you get, uh, you get Liza Minnelli in the okay. show. Really great portrayal. It's it was just fun. I mean, it has the over dramatic kind of shit of any biopic, but overall, I I really enjoyed it. Um, and it's worth watching if you're even tangentially interested in fashion. Yeah, that's that's what called me to it. Although I hadn't ever heard of this guy, so it's interesting because I'm not that into fashion, but like I felt like I knew most of the big names. But well, again, he was he nowhere. was mainly big in the 70s and 80s. Mm. Um, and he fell, you know, pretty, pretty dramatically. Mm. Um, but he, like his style of fashion was very cool. And he was one of the first designers to make couture clothes in America to be like an American couture fashion house. Most of the couture clothing came out of Europe. So that alone okay, is, cool. is pretty cool. And he was also like, a fairly well-known out gay man in the 70s and 80s, mm -hmm. which is also very cool. Um, yeah, you know, it's amazing soundtrack, really great, vivid characters, and beautiful costuming. Nice. It's very solid for for Netflix. I think I feel like they do relatively well with with biopics. I mean, they did The Dirt as yeah. well, which was the Motley Crue biopic, and it was fairly solid. Um, and they, they clearly like put a good amount of budget behind the costuming, which is really where you need it. in something like this. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Yeah. Unfortunately, this was just a week where I couldn't really get into much shows. I get, I'm doing my YouTube things and honestly, yeah, I've been, uh, I mentioned this last week, uh, maybe got cut from the episode, but just that I've, I've been playing just like super chill video games a bunch recently. That's been my my uh, kick. So uh, if any, call it to Stardew Valley fans. That's that's the uh, 
That's been the plan. I've just been, yeah, it's, I've been in a super chill space. If anyone knows Harvest Moon, it's a very similar game. Um, and it's just, you're just farming and making relationships with people. And it's just chill. And basically, I'm trying to stave off depression. Sounds so boring. How dare you? <laughs> but it's also, what's nice is they brought in a multiplayer mode. So I've been playing with friends and we all sort of build up the farm together. And I've played through so, like, everything in the sorry, game. Sorry, wait, hold on. Is this Harvest Moon or Stardew Valley? This is Stardew Valley. So Stardew Valley has given you the option to start your own commune, yeah. basically. So you can have, it's Stardew Valley Cult Edition. That's what you're telling uh, me. Oh, yeah, basically. Amazing. Everyone gets their own little cabin. I love it. But yeah, it's been nice and chill and I enjoy socializing with people and they haven't gone through the game. So there's little secrets. There's, you know, cut scenes with the relationships with people in the town. And so they're all discovering it for the first time. I just like it. Cute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can go again. Yeah. Happy to keep going. I watched a lot of stuff this week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I watched Mayor of Easttown. Right. I knew you'd watch that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, it's not done yet. There's still a couple episodes left, but I feel like I've seen, I think I've watched like five episodes now. So I feel like I've seen enough of it that I can talk about it. So I have a pretty good impression of it. I've really been enjoying it. It's a new show from HBO. If you're in Canada, you can get it on Crave. If you're in the States, I imagine it's probably through HBO Max. Um, but it stars Kate Winslet and Evan Peters in the two sort of more central roles. You also have Guy Pierce in there because Guy Pierce is just in fucking everything. And it takes sure. place. He is, man. You're going to start noticing it. Pay attention to Guy Pierce. He props <laughs> up in a lot of shit, man. Anyway, it takes place in a small Pennsylvania town. It's basically just like a, a scripted crime thriller. You know, it's it's nothing crazy inventive. It has the same kind of vibes as, I would say, like, The Sinner or True Detective. Mm. Um. But the thing that I like about it is is that it is a female detective in the lead, but she still right. has that like grizzled, borderline alcoholic, her life has gone to shit vibe that like Brendan Gleason has in Christ, what's that show called? Mr. Mercedes or Bill okay. Pullman in The Sinner um, or Matthew McConaughey in, in True Detective, right? So you're right. getting the same kind of vibe that's traditionally played by men, but it's a it's a woman in the role. So that it just, I don't know, it feels cool to see that because it still feels real and true. And and she's a very mm-hmm. three dimensional character. You know, you really understand her family, where she's coming from, and the case is really interesting. Like what they're trying to solve is really right. interesting. And then you have Evan Peters coming in as this like younger sweet detective on the rise solved a huge case so he's brought in when she gets stuck so there's that kind of animosity thing very much like brad pitt and um morgan freeman in seven right you know morgan freeman's about to retire because he can't solve this case they bring brad pitt in new young detective to close it out and they have to work together same vibe um, so like there's there's a lot of inspiration from the long line of like scripted prestige crime shows and movies, but they do it really well. It's effective and it's fun and tense. Yeah. And Kate and Kate Winslet's awesome. She wears like no makeup in it. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I'm glad to hear that it's good because yeah, it looked like it had a lot of potential. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Solid. Evan Peters is adorable. Very solid, like drunk Evan Peters scene that's just oh. quite quite charming and funny. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say that he plays a drunk, and I'm like, oh, okay. No, but no, he just is drunk in the scene. Right, right. Just fun drunk. <laughs> yeah, fun, cute drunk. Just like the flight attendant for the whole. No, but uh, yeah. So I do have one more big one. So my whole family got together and watched Nomadland. The Oscar winner. I still haven't seen so, that. Yeah, my, that was my mom's for Mother's Day. It was the one she wanted us to all get together and watch. And Thank so you. we did. Love your mom. And 
we all ended up enjoying it, actually. So the, it's directed by Chloe Zhao, and it was based on a book written by Jessica Bruder, um, but then Chloe Zhao wrote the screenplay for the movie. So it's really her vision um, for the whole movie. And it stars Francis McDormand, who probably most famous for Fargo, Fargo. Um, as Marge, but is also recently in Three Billboards, Billboards outside. Yeah. <laughs> Ebbing at McZert, which my family also loved both of those movies as well. So they're already very partial to her. I just have to like beat you to the punch of every pop culture reference. Yeah. I was like, wow, I have like, my things written down. I'm prepared. <laughs> Joseph does like research ahead of time on my his God. movies. So he'll, like write them down in the little notebook um, so that he doesn't forget. <laughs> and then I'll sit here and be like, oh, this movie? You mean this actor? Because I don't have a life. Uh, but the movie is what I liked about it. It has a unique vision. It feel doesn't feel like any other movie. Frances McDormand plays this woman named Fern, who, after the financial crisis, has uh, her whole town has basically gone up in smoke. It was a town, like maybe a mining town or something like this. I don't think it was mining, though. But it was all around one industry. The industry failed, and then they lost their home, lost their things, and her husband died. She stayed in the town. She was one of the last people to leave the town. And after she did, she now lives as a nomad in a trailer. She goes from place to place. And the first job you actually see her do in this nomad is actually work at an Amazon warehouse. And it's totally legit. Like you actually just see her working in an Amazon warehouse. And it's 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 this weird transition from right you the factory work that used to be the mainstay of American culture, you know, so many years ago, and just showing the new reality of work, the new reality of how people's lives are after the recession, after things and how brutal it can be. But she also finds so much joy and passion. Like you you hear a guy speaking in these YouTube videos and saying like, all us nomads should go and meet at this one place. We're going to do this meeting every year. And you're thinking, oh, she's going to be wrapped up in a cult. It's going to be bad. But she goes there and it's just people trying to deal with their lives together. And it's just, you know, they're, they're singing songs together. They're many things. And they tell stories about their lives and how they ended up where they're at. And some of them really chose this life. Some of them, they're trying to heal from a lot of difficulties in their lives. And it feels raw. It feels real. She's amazing in it as an actress always, um, but in particular in this. And it's it's a documentary with the spirit of a movie, with that, that, that grandiosity of a movie. I loved it. I thought it was... Uh, a great, and I'm so glad my whole family loved it. It's rare to to get us all to enjoy something in the same way. And it's funny, it was almost unspoken. Like after the movie, we didn't even really talk about it, but then we mentioned it a few days later. And we're like, so how did everyone find the movie? And everyone's like, oh yeah, we all loved it. Like we all knew that each other loved it. Like it was crazy. We just could tell the vibe of how we felt. Just, yeah, a great experience. Honestly, for staving off my depression, generally speaking, like yeah. I had a lot of pretty good experiences recently. Um, so I hope that I can stay humble, stay grateful. No. Oh my God. But, but actually, but actually. Live, though, laugh, love I, the hell out of here, please. Yeah. Oh my God. But, but I actually, I'm actually thinking about that, that I, I want to be able to appreciate this time that I have. Like, like one of the things that I have right now is, is freedom because I don't have a job. Uh, and so I have time to spend with people and whatnot. Yeah. And it's like, I do have an, like, there's a way in which it's an opportunity, but the, of course it's very stressful and for other reasons and stuff as, as is usual in these things and the pandemic's still here. But I also don't want to just lose this opportunity I have to all the stress. Um, and so that was a great moment and I'm just putting that out there. <laughs> no, that's good. I mean, I've, I've been wanting to watch it for a while. I just feel like I need to be in the right mindset to genuinely enjoy it where I want to focus I wish I could sit down and watch that with my parents. I truly think my mom would get bored and leave the room. Mm. I'm not sure about my dad because I, I was able to sit down and watch Fences with my dad and he loved it. My mom also says she loved it, but she watched it for 20 minutes and then went to bed. So I don't really think that that counts. <laughs> I think she just wanted to be included. Um, 
So I'm not sure how Nomadland would hit, but I do want to watch it. Yeah, beautiful cinematography and stuff too. Yeah, I do want to pick up, but yeah, that, that's that's about it that I have for this week. But eh, I do want to pick up more indie movies and stuff, but it just hasn't been a great mood. I did end up re-watching Gerald's Game, but I, I, I'm i one of us, I think, has talked about it on the podcast before, and I don't really have anything in particular I want to say about it. Uh, great movie, though. Yeah, it's, it's surprisingly, Gerald's Game is so weird to me, because when you read Gerald's Game, it really reads like it would be the most challenging Stephen King to adapt into, like, a visual medium. Mm. But it ended up being one of the best adaptations of Stephen King in in like film mm. because it's it's very true to the story, but it it's very atmospheric. It really like creates this tension and this vibe. The acting is really, really good. It's it's so weird, you know, and I know mm. I know like most people would argue that The Shining is the best like Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, but it's not accurate at all to the right. source material it's it's such a far deviation i don't think that makes it a bad movie i think kubrick's shining is amazing but it's not stephen king like it, it stopped being stephen king so quickly into watching that movie um whereas gerald's game feels very true to like king's vision but is actually just a, a good adaptation mm-hmm. um I watched, um, I don't know if we're going to, if you're going to watch it, but I watched The Woman in the Window. I do plan on watching that one. Amy Adams, love. So Okay, so I won't get too into it. I will say, as with most things, the book is better. (laughs) Mm. Amy Adams, however, is really, really fantastic in it. I do think the movie kind of suffers from the disjointed nature of of the story like while it's relatively linear it goes Mm. day by day what the character is is coping with creates sort of this um lack of trust in the narrator and that's really hard to convey i think in a movie and i think the way they went about it made it feel really um kind of jumpy and not well connected Mm. but the cast is phenomenal i mean wyatt russell is really really excellent um, most people would recognize him from as John Walker in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. He's really, really good in this. Julianne Moore, you see her briefly. She's excellent. Oh, God. I can't think of the name of one of the actresses. But um, you also have Gary Oldman in it, hmm. who took me like a solid 10 minutes. Took me a solid 10 minutes to recognize Gary Oldman. <laughs> so they made him look real old. Mm. And then you have Anthony Mackie, who plays Falcon in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Right. Um, so really stacked cast. It's very, yeah, very crazy. well acted. But the actual plot structure is kind of underwhelming. Overall, mm. I enjoyed it, but it it is a little lackluster. I, I will say maybe if you haven't read the book, it, it might work better for you. But overall, I was I was a little disappointed with it. Did you hear... I, I remember I was telling you just before the podcast that there's this list of some people talking about authors and how, how bad they are that apparently AJ Finn has some controversy. I'm forgetting what his was in particular, but the woman in the window author uh, was a mess of some kind. I want to know what the controversy is now. No, we'd no. have to look it up. Oh no. I just bought it off. I just bought the book off book outlet for like $7. Okay. Well, uh, if you have your next thing, I'll uh, look it up in the meantime. Okay, I'll do. You look it up, and I'll just keep talking about stuff. All right, what else have I watched? I watched. This is super not interesting, but I watched American Horror Story Apocalypse. Oh, it'd be interesting if you want it to be. It's not very good. Like, let's be honest. Is anyone excited about another underwhelming Ryan Murphy project? Because I'm not. He keeps making yeah. them. He keeps fucking churning them out. Netflix keeps bankrolling his shit. Um, but none of them are great. Like, I've enjoyed them. I've enjoyed American Horror Story. But I, I feel like he suffers in the same way that M. Night Shyamalan suffers, where, like, the first act to two acts of anything he creates is, like, really solid. And then it just fucking falls apart. Like, he either can't figure out how to close out his story or he shoves too much shit in there that it's fundamentally yeah. impossible to make it coherent. 
I will say Apocalypse had some cool moments. It is very confusing having the same actors play like three separate characters and interacting with each other. So you have like Emma Roberts from like the Coven season, the third season, Mm -hmm. interacting with Tate from Murder House season, who's played by Evan Peters. And Evan Peters, man. And Violet from the Murder House season, who's played by uh, Taisa Farmiga. But then she goes back and she's interacting with another character from the Coven season, who's also played by Taisa Farmiga. And no one's addressing the fact that these two people look fucking identical. Like they're just acting oh, like Jesus. these are very clearly right. different people. And it's like they look the exact same, you know? It's just some kind of recognition. So it's fucking is weird. Is the idea of this season a bit of like the Stephen King Dark Tower universe, like interactions of different multiverse or like what? No, no, it's just it, it, it was basically supposed to draw in the fact that Ryan Murphy has said all of the seasons of the show are connected in some way. Oh, So season eight is the first time you really see how the majority of these seasons are connected, which is cool. You know, it's conceptually really neat but not addressing the fact that these characters look exactly the fucking same is weird. Like how much suspension of disbelief are you expecting here? I'm already giving you fucking witches, warlocks, the end of the world and ghosts. (laughs) How much, how much further do I need to go that we're just never going to address the fact that there's like 18 doppelgangers this season. It's weird. I you know, I found the controversy. Oh, yes. Go ahead. I have nothing more interesting to say about Apocalypse other than it's like moderately okay and all of the acting is, I guess, passable. In February 2019, an article in The New Yorker exposed Mallory as having fabricated numerous aspects of his life and career. So his real name is Dan Mallory and goes under the pen name AJ Finn. Okay. These aspects include having earned a doctorate doctorate from the University of Oxford. Not true. Having suffered from cancer and a Wait, brain tumor. Hold on. Sorry. I need to pause before we get too deep into this. Why would you ever lie about the most prestigious university? Lie about a university nobody fucking cares to look into. You know, say you got your doc, your doctorate from some shitty ass state school that no one wants to go yeah. to because no one's going to fucking check you on that. Oxford, really? Ballsy. Yep. And then cancer. Yeah. Having suffered from cancer and a brain tumor having lost his mother to cancer, and having lost his brother to suicide. So he just fabricated a whole life for himself. You, you just know that this dude's, this dude's response to this is just like, well, I'm a writer. Yeah. I live in my stories. <laughs> I am that, a character. Yeah. That thread, though, about like how bad like so many authors are, it, it, it's devastating. Like, There's so few authors out there. And a lot of them were... Some of my favorites, Dan Kerouac, not Dan, is it Dan? Jack. Jack Kerouac. Where the heck? Oh, that's his name, right, right. Yeah, Dan Mallory. But Jack Kerouac became a crazy hyper-conservative and hated the movement that his book spawned. That's so weird. Oh, yeah, it's so fun. Uh, but that's the exact same story as my favorite, or one of my favorite sci-fi authors when I was young, Orson Scott Card, who's... I think in this is famous, where he wrote stories about coming to terms with alien species and how different they are and caring for them, even though they're so different. And that was the themes of his books. And he became a hyper Christian who was all about like xenophobia (laughs) and like all this stuff. And it's just, you know, I don't know how half this stuff happens. It's just so bizarre. Yeah. Lots of fantasy authors made the list. Well, there's a, there's a lot of racism and xenophobia and fantasy and sci-fi already. So that's, that's not super shocking to me. When I when I was a kid, I I loved this one. It was a very basic series, but so enjoyable. Called um, the Belgariad uh, series, and it's like a huge, epic-spanning fantasy world, but very simplistic. Like you know, this is the country of assassins, and the hero's journey, and his companions all go. And guess what? They meet assassins. It's like yeah, we get it, but it's it's cute, and you enjoy it, and every, even though everything's one-dimensional. Yeah, it turns out. Um, they like abused the foster care system and were probably pedophiles. The husband and wife combo who wrote these books, and I'm just like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> what? Like, why? You know, Ugh, it's just yep. ruining the childhood. Yep, you know, right in the childhood. 
F. Scott Fitzgerald stole all of his best work from his wife and then had her committed to an Mm -hmm. asylum where she died alone. So, you know, J.K. Rowling is a turf. (laughs) Yeah, of course, H.P. Lovecraft, which we're going to get into in a bit. The guy who wrote Narnia is like a hyper-Christian and I think racist. Yeah, I I wonder about him. I know he's a hyper-Christian, but I don't know if he's... Like, it's okay to be really Christian as long as it doesn't bleed into, like, really bad aspects of it. So, I don't know. No, no. I mean, there's there's being a Christian, and then there's, like, hyper-Christian. And I feel like, you know, there's a a delineation there, you know? There's a line that some people cross with any kind of belief system where it just goes a bit too far. It's a bridge too far. Like, you can have a commune where you live with your best friends, but the minute you go, like cult aspect bridge too far you know the minute you want to be worshipped bridge too far there's a line (sighs) yeah sad times kind of bummed out about the woman in the window I mean the movie's not that good but the book was solid so that's a bummer I also 150% thought AJ Finn was a woman although it does explain why the writing I think that's what he was trying to do it, it does explain why the writing of the main female character is kind of Blase. It's not bad. It's just kind of meh. Once I found, because uh, I assumed it was a woman too. And once I found out, it was like I'm like he was just definitely going off that trend of from Gone Girl to Girl on the Train to just trying to make the next big. Hundred percent. Well, I mean, I don't know. It's it's. I will say the book is not that good. It's an entertaining book, but it mm. is also like an abject ripoff of Hitchcock. Like it literally is rear window, but she has agoraphobia instead of a broken leg. So he's, he's not doing anything here. It's nothing new is happening. And like, he's blatantly making it clear in the book itself that it is a ripoff of Hitchcock. It's supposed to be like an homage, but the character in the book is obsessed with old movies, old black and white movies. Mm. And Hitchcock films and old thrillers with Marilyn Monroe and all that shit. So like he never, but he makes a point of mentioning all of these movies. And from what I've read in the book, I don't notice him mentioning, and they're all noir like thriller movies, very Hitchcockian, but he never mentions Rear Window and he never mentions Psycho. And these are like the most blatant inspirations for right. this fucking book like they're just total rip-offs of it yeah it's too and close to home really feel it when you watch it i mean you don't feel it as much when you read the book um because there's so much other like little character development moments and stuff that's happening so you don't notice it quite as much but in the movie since it's so condensed i mean the movie's only like 90 minutes or something you can really see that it's just a it's just like a hard rip-off and like a shitty watered down version. This is a uh, weird aside because this is actually a movie that I forgot to talk about this like two months ago or whatever. I watched Gentlemen Prefer Blondes starring Marilyn Monroe with a friend who loves old movies. And he was uh, saying like, this is, I, there's something about the vibe of this dumb blonde trope, but how Marilyn plays it as iconic and there's this iconic song about um diamonds are a girl uh, yeah it's diamonds are a girl's mm-hmm. best friend they use it in moulin rouge yeah and it's just exuberant and and fun and i really appreciate i didn't like the movie i wouldn't say but i really appreciated seeing like when someone's so passionate about something and you can see why when you see what they're saying about a thing so that was that was a fun experience and i love i love when i get a good recommendation from someone like and can get insight into what they're passionate about. So that was I feel like fun. we've been friends for too long because I get passionate, excited about horror movies and you're just like, yeah, they're fine. Okay. Okay. Joseph never gets excited about my recommendations. Well, you know, they're, they're part of our, our whole lifestyle now, right? We put <laughs> them into the podcast. We watch, you know, lots of stuff, but I, I picked up the lodge based on your recommendation and other ones that mm, that's true. You know, we're kind Although of, I uh, feel like you would have watched that anyway because you like good night mommy. Which was also your recommendation that I oh, right. took up. Yeah. I actually forgot about that. I thought we just both had seen it. Because I know you watch it, your like, little film club yeah. thing. I, I, I used my slot to, uh, to use an, uh, for a movie for, from you. And I didn't even, I didn't vet it, nothing. I was just like, I trust Lydia. Okay, I take it back. Although this was years <laughs> ago. I mean, that was That's so true. long ago. Yes. 
What have you done for me but lately? It just shows, yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> but it just shows how long our our thriller horror journey together has been. It also makes it sound like I don't watch anything other than that, but. And that's wrong. <laughs> I watched Halston this week. Yeah, I'm kidding, kidding. You watch nothing else good. Halston was good. Um, but not on that note at all. We watched a shitty horror movie. Oh God, it was so bad. Um, I can't. Oh my yeah. God. If you're this noticing, is probably like, the worst movie we've seen on the pod so far. Is it? I feel like there are worse lost Maybe episodes. Maybe Color Out of Space. Did we post yeah. that episode? No. Chunking Express we did not like. Well, I, I, I didn't like it, but I, I liked it more. Definitely, I appreciated it more than... Yeah, than that's before. fair. I did too. <laughs> <laughs> that's and not then, wrong. And then before Sunset, but that was a total cheat because we just talked through the whole movie and it's a movie about I, talking. I also so. kind of liked it. Oh my God. At least more than this. Yeah. This was my recommendation too. I feel so bad. It was so bad. Uh, oh my god! No, I mean, I, I I was into it too. I thought it like looked cool. I my actual only worry about it was when we first recommended it, it was around the time we had watched Color of Space, and that yeah. left such a bad impression. So I'm just like, I don't want to pick up another <laughs> one of these. We 100 haven't even said the title of this movie, so it's in the title of the podcast, whatever. Uh, but we watched The Void, a very shitty Lovecraftian horror movie. Uh, in the same vein as Color Out of Space. Yeah. And, you know, Daniel isn't real. Mandy. All that shit. All those fucking Lovecraft movies. Let's not compare it to Mandy. <laughs> well, Let's I'm not, not sully I'm not the com- name. I'm not saying it's like Mandy. I'm also not saying yeah. it's like, you know, as good as Daniel isn't real. And Daniel isn't yeah. real is like, at best, a solid seven. Even though I love that uh, movie. We get bonus points because it's Canadian. So, you know, give us points for that. I loved the fact that it was Canadian because we started watching this movie and did not know that it was Canadian. We could tell it was shitty pretty quickly. But then people started talking and I was like, I think this is a Canadian movie. So I looked it up and it is. I am starting to recognize the fact that Canadians do have a very distinct accent in comparison to Americans. And I can pick it out very quickly. The acting was probably the worst aspect of it for me. Like it just, yeah. I I feel like if the acting was better, usually you don't get that bad acting. Like no. it was actively bad the whole <laughs> way through. I feel like if the acting was even just slightly better, like even just passably mediocre, we wouldn't have hated this movie so much. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you can have shitty writing if you have good acting, but you can't have shitty writing and shitty acting. I suppose the one disappointing aspect of it is that the practical effects in parts are really cool. Only yes. in parts. Uh, but the monsters, basically. I would say in the the greater majority of the practical effects are really solid. I mean, it, you see somebody get stabbed with a knife, it looks fucking stupid for the most part. But like any of the monster shit, any of the dead body stuff, any of the mutilation stuff, like other than the facial mutilation, it all looked really good. I, I want, so we said in the movie, like it reminded me of how, if Hellraiser wasn't fun to watch, it's kind of, yeah. you're kind of, <laughs> you're kind of watching and you're like, yeah, there's like crazy weird horror, but it's like, it doesn't have that corny 80s vibe. Like you can't enjoy it for that aspect. So you're seeing like seriously done those kind of practical effects. And then you're, then you're paired with a serious storyline that you can't enjoy for any kind of corniness or silliness or over the topness. Um, at least I couldn't enjoy yeah. it on that level. So you're just stuck being like, this is trying to have some kind of serious Stephen King-like story where it's a bunch of people trapped in an area and, you know, how will they deal with each other's personality like The Mist, which you uh, mentioned as a, like a reference mm-hmm. and stuff. But it's it just uh, it's, it's not interesting at all on that level. You can see You can see a lot of influence from a lot of, much, much better creators. I mean, there's definitely Stephen King influence. Obviously, there's a lot of Lovecraftian influence. I would also say there's quite a bit of John Carpenter influence, specifically Mm, in like the monsters themselves. They're clearly trying to do an homage to the thing here. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, like The Mist or um, even like The Fog, you know, like that whole Mm -hmm. trapped in a small space. Same with George A. Romero with... um, 
Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead. Like it, it's there's a lot of homage to like very, very good horror directors um, and horror writers. It just ends up being this mashup instead of being like a love letter to the genre. It's like they're trying to elevate what better directors have done and they do it so fucking poorly, you know? Because, like, the writing isn't great. Like, it's it's not a strong plot line. There's no real through line. It's messy and confusing. And I feel like they're trying to be unnecessarily esoteric with it. And Mm -hmm. they just really, the real, like, the reality of the situation is they don't have an actual point they're trying to get across. No, exactly. That's what I was going to say. But the acting is also super subpar. So you have these poor mediocre Canadian actors just looking for a big break working with like people who are relatively established in like the horror film world. Cause like the, the two directors, like one of them worked with Guillermo del Toro on shape of fucking water. Mm. So I think, I feel like there was like an assumption here that this would do something. This would be like a festival hit and it was just fucking bad. You know? Yeah. The effects team, God bless them, knocked it out of the fucking park. Like, they smashed this shit. Everything else was terrible. Except for Knives Chow. Yeah. She was solid. That was fun. Yeah, I just... I think one of the things that would have really helped if if there's any reason for anything that was happening to be happening, like, just to give you some ground of, like... You don't even need to have it like themed or anything, but it's like, as you were saying, like there's no through line to be like, why are the characters doing what they're doing? You get the plot point in the middle and look, I'm going to spoil it because it's not that exciting. Yeah. But basically this doctor in the town has been experimenting on people and experimenting with some kind of dark magic to rebirth and metamorphosize people because he wants his daughter back who's died. And it's just like, yeah, I mean, I guess that's a, motive but it's so poorly put together there's actually a very strange if there is any theme there's this very strange theme about miscarriage and children and i don't understand it and i don't think i want to understand it because yeah and i feel like there's something about women that they're trying to do both in the sense of like birth but also just like the frailness of them or something. I don't know. Like yeah. the value of women. It's it's very weird. It doesn't make total sense. Yeah. So the the women you see in it, one of them is pregnant and she uh, is about to have the baby and they're trapped in a hospital. The main uh, actress is the wife. Were they divorced or do we go through uh, separated? Separated, I think. Yeah, separated uh, from the main character, who's a, a police officer, and she uh, had a miscarriage. It seems, mm-hmm. and so that theme, it, like, except for uh, knives. Sorry, I'm forgetting the knives name. Chow. Her, her, the actual, the actual name of the actress is Ellen Wong, but she played knives yeah. Chow in Scott Pilgrim versus the World. How far she has fallen. <laughs> But as she's the only one who doesn't have this, th- that kind of storyline. Um, and then all the other characters basically are old white men a- and one young white man. Well, like, mi- like middle-aged to old white men. Yeah. yeah sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Middle-aged old. And it's just like, I don't like, it's just not a good vibe either for that. Like, do we need no. like, I don't know. No, there's a whole, like the whole thing has a weird, a weird energy. You know, like it's just it's just consistently bad. And the crazy thing yeah. to me is that it's swept at like independent horror festivals. Well, yeah, I don't, and it has I don't like know. a solid seven on IMDb. And I'm just how this movie's fucking terrible. Like, I feel so bad that it is as bad as it is. And it's crazy. I was I was looking up trivia because I got bored halfway through the movie. Um, So I was looking up trivia. And that's how I found out that one of the directors actually worked with Guillermo del Toro on a couple of movies. But within the trivia, it says that the directors had heard that Guillermo del Toro, you know, really liked the aesthetic of H.B. Lovecraft. You know, not necessarily the abject racism of H.B. Lovecraft, Mm -hmm. but the, you know, aesthetic of Eldritch Horrors. 
and, you know, wanted to do something around that. And they decided that they were going to make that they wanted to make a movie and display H.P. Lovecraft in a way that has never been shown before because that's what Guillermo del Toro wanted to do. And I'm like, first of all, you're just legitimately admitting that you're ripping off another better director. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And second, you did not show H.P. Lovecraft in a way that he's never been shown before. You just did a direct-to-rec, like one-to-one translation of it and put it in like a modern setting and did it worse. And then a year later, like The Void comes out in 2016. A year later, Guillermo del Toro releases The Shape of Water, which is H.P. Lovecraft shown in a way that no one has ever done it before. Mm-hmm. And he wins a fucking Oscar. And like, so not only did you rip off a better director, but you objectively failed at doing the one thing you set out to do. And then you immediately yeah. got shown up. Yeah, and just to state, and sorry, hopefully this isn't stealing your your thunder on the point, but it's like the thing about Shape of Water that I actually really loved and, and thought was a really cool take on it was that there is fish creatures in H.P. Uh, Lovecraft, and that is sp- that's his thing about uh, anti uh, interracial marriage, interracial um, sex. In those stories, and that's what he was trying yeah. to say. Would you? Would you have sex <laughs> you, with a fish person? You wouldn't fuck a fish person. So why would you fuck someone outside of your race? That's what H.P. Lovecraft thinks. And if you know Shape of Water, it's about a love story about someone genuinely falling in love with a fish person. And just as a total middle finger to H.P. Lovecraft, and and in a brilliant, subtle way. Not that things have to be subtle, but like it's it's both. Once you know the story, it makes perfect sense. And having not known it, it doesn't take away from the story uh, he was trying to tell in Shape of Water. Like, you didn't need to know that to see the the whole story uh, of Shape of Water. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that is a cool thing that you see in a lot of monster movies. I, I do think, you know, Guillermo del Toro did an, an especially good job of highlighting and, and that, highlighting that relationship and making it, you know, sympathetic and, and beautiful. But you definitely have seen that in other monster movies. I mean, the same thing, or similar kind of themes are shown in King Kong, where he develops this sort of friendship, kind of love, but not necessarily romantic relationship with, um, I mean, if you've seen the original, Faye Ray, I think, plays the female lead in King Kong. And you see the same thing in uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon, which is literally a fish person, which I I genuinely think Mm -hmm. was you know, a 1930s adaptation of H.P. Lovecraft, but they mm. make it sympathetic. I mean, I, I do think it's it's not nearly to the degree that Guillermo del Toro achieved. It's not nearly as beautiful or romantic as Guillermo del Toro achieved, but those themes have been there in monster movies. We've just progressed to a point where we're recognizing the inherent racism in those depictions and doing something to twist that on its head and make it beautiful. And I think Guillermo del Toro has always been really effective in creating like these sympathetic, beautiful characters that you really fall in love with. And I mean, if it isn't obvious from our the title of our literal podcast, we do love <laughs> yes. Guillermo del Toro's work in general. Um, I sadly there's there's still a few of his early works, especially like it want to finish the trilogy, the Pan's Labyrinth trilogy. Mm, I haven't yeah. seen the original ones. I not the hugest fan of Hellboy, though. So Oh, I really like Hellboy. I'm not a big Ron Perlman fan, but I think he did a a pretty solid job as Hellboy. Yeah. Like he was very good. It I think it seemed like a very good adaptation. It just wasn't a story I was that interested in. That's fair. I mean, I thought it was I for the visuals alone, I feel like Hellboy is really worth like watching cuz visually it's so cool and weird and very like the exact aesthetic of Guillermo del Toro. The one that I'm like the least interested in is Pacific Rim. I have seen it, but yeah. I, I just like I don't I don't care about this. Yeah, um, I don't know. He's making some money or something. I don't know. It's fine. You know, like it's it is what it is. Um, and then Crimson Peak. I feel like I need to go back and rewatch because I didn't love it the first time I saw it. Um, but I'm all, like, I have a hard time with gothic horror. My mom loves gothic horror. Um, so she loved it. But I think I think I'm gonna need to give it a a second watch. Yeah, not 
much else I want to say about the void, uh, except avoid. Yeah, hard pass. Um, if you are interested in watching, you know, these weird modern acid trip Lovecraftian movies, uh, Mandy, excellent option. Yes. Definitely has some Lovecraft vibes. Doesn't go that deep into it. I would avoid color out of space. It's not great. Um, but Daniel isn't real, which I think is by the same producers who did Mandy. Very good. Really, really solid. Um, mm. It does have Arnold Schwarzenegger's son in it. I don't know if that's a plus or minus. It's just a weird <laughs> fact. Um, but it's it's a really good, weird atmospheric body horror and it has a lot of like strange psychedelic visuals and really cool musical choices it's very fun awesome yeah it's a much cooler version of this or just watch the thing like let's be yeah. honest that's one of the best versions of like For a sure. lovecraftian vibe a young hot Absolutely. kurt russell wilford brimley in his heyday it's funny, yeah, we've mentioned multiple times that, like, The Thing and Pan's Labyrinth are two of the movies that, like, most intersect our, our interests. Uh, thing like a sci-fi horror uh, thing mm, and then yeah. a fantasy horror. Um, I would also put, like, Alien and Aliens in there. Yeah. Love those movies. So good. I'm Surprisingly, though, I'm not as much of a fan of Alien as I am of The Thing. and uh, The practical and effects alone. Plus, Sigourney Weaver was a babe. Mm-hmm. Sigourney Weaver's still a babe. <laughs> love her yeah i mean i don't know i wouldn't bother watching it if you want like if you're interested in watching a shitty canadian movie like cool <laughs> but there there are much better options like just fucking watch ginger snaps that's a way better version of canadian horror yeah, yeah. this movie sucked yep it was rough <sighs> I watched, uh, this is totally unrelated. We can cut this out. I don't care. But I watched The Only <laughs> Lovers Left Alive this week for the first time. For the first time. Wow. Yeah. Um, I really liked it. I really liked it. I mean, it's boring, you know, like nothing fucking happens in that movie. But like, I just, I just loved the way the characters were with mm. each other. You know, just the vibe of them existing together it was so ethereal and like weird. And I yeah. just loved it. That was my sense of it. But I, I only could get through 10 minutes and I'm like, I don't know if this is going anywhere. And I just for some reason just couldn't couldn't jive with it. It's funny. Yeah. I mean, I would I would say give it another try. I mean, it's Jim Jarmusch. So, you know, it's it's all weird vibes and aesthetic, but it, like it's it's unnecessarily esoteric for sure. But it is there's just something really enchanting and like darkly magical about these characters i mean it's tilda swinton so mm -hmm. of course but still yeah yeah that movie's cool watch that movie it's also on amazon prime i've loved tilda swinton in so many movies it's crazy weirdly the one that came to mind was the island with leonardo dicaprio i think that was because it was the first the time i saw her the beach. Oh my god. The island is with Ewan McGregor and Scarlett yes. Johansson, and it Another is very strange. Objectively movie. bad. It's a bad uh, yeah. movie. Yeah, it's it's bad. I did like the premise of it, so I enjoyed the beginning sequence where you're learning what the thing is. But I mean, it's kind of just Logan's Run. It's like shitty yeah. Logan's Run meets Gattaca. Well, th yeah, things don't need to be. Yeah, but anyway, I, it was it yeah, was cool. I didn't the, know. It's just like the worst version of those two things that already mm. exist. But the beach. Has a weird, yes. uncomfortable, hot sex scene between Tilda Swinton and a very young Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, I forgot they had a sex scene. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. That's uh, the one the thing. That's the only thing I remember about that movie is the weird sitting upright sex scene. You'll remember this when I tell you, though, but that Leonardo DiCaprio has a whole scene where he's like on drugs, something in the jungle, and it turns into a video game. It's like literal. I don't remember video... that at all. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's oh. so bizarre i can't imagine looking on the big screen and seeing like literal like doom graphics come up over leonardo dicaprio that is i it's do not remember bizarre. that at all i remember the like weird sex scene with him and swinton with yeah. like the like gauzy like curtains around the bed floating around the place while they're banging it out but i do not remember the video game graphics yeah she plays 
like, or at least when she like has her twist in the movie and she becomes like more stern, she plays that same character. Like she's the same character in uh, Constantine. Even uh, the White Witch from Narnia has a lot of this same uh, flavor in that. Man. But I just love it. Constantine is like not a great movie, but it is a really entertaining. Movie. Oh, it's iconic. It's yeah. iconic. It's really good. I love Keanu, man. He's such a shitty actor, though. Like, I, I really, truly do love everything he's that I've seen him in. Except maybe the Dracula movie. That was rough. But, like, he's he's just, like, so mediocre, but so charming. Constantine probably has one of the most traumatizing death scenes I've ever seen in a movie. Like, that, Wait, like, that affected me. In Constantine? Yeah, which one? Which death scene? Uh, There's a few. Yeah, it's the really, really abrupt one that happens like out of nowhere. But yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I guess we can just give away. It's a Constantine movie, but it's came out in like 2004. Just fucking tell me which yeah. character. It's Shia LaBeouf being killed by Tilda Swinton. Oh, yeah. I was yeah. just like, what the F just happened? Oh, baby Shia me. just coming off a hole. I believe it. Before he was That was popular. Game of Thrones before Game of Thrones. Like it yeah. was too much. Um, so we've veered off tracks nine different directions, as usual, with terrible movies. Yeah, when it's a bad movie, we talk about almost anything else humanly possible. This is our same conversation that we were basically having. Like, not the exact, but it's like same type of thing we're doing during the movie, because we're just like, yeah, we can't. I know. It's, it's like really hard avoidance, but we can't avoid it. We're still retaining all of this information. At least I am. I'm going to remember this shitty movie for the rest of my fucking life now because of my stupid perfect movie memory it's cataloged up in there yeah the memory palace it lives there now <laughs> and i'm sure there's going to be more important knowledge in the future that i won't retain because apparently the only thing i can keep in my head is fucking pop culture bullshit <laughs> i don't know how i have a job all i remember is movie things ridiculous thank you for listening thank you for listening uh, you can find us on pretty much all social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Follow us and interact with us on Twitter. That's where we're the most active. It's at Fans Lab Pod. Let us know what you think of the podcast, what movies you want us to cover in the future. If you've seen The Void, tell us how terrible you thought it was. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. I'd rather not hear about Bye. that movie ever again. Bye.